Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 63, Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the number five ranked featherweight on planet Earth, Calvin Cater, defending his spot against the emerging, the number six ranked, the UK's own Arnold Allen. And man, this should be one hell of a main event. I'm truly excited for this. I mean, Calvin Cater still has title aspirations and Arnold Allen a perfect 9 and 0 inside the UFC's octagon but if you want to fight for a title you got to enter the top 5 first and if you want to enter the top 5 first you must defeat a guy like Calvin Cater so unbelievable main event cannot wait to get down to business especially coming off of last week which was just epic but Last week's in the rearview mirror, and now we got to get down to business for Saturday night. Incredible featherweight main event. So everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And let's get down. Let's get down to business. Give me one more night. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got Calvin Cater. He's 23-6, and six, representing the United States of America, specifically Boston taking on Arnold Allen who was 18 and one repping the UK and currently they got it Arnold Allen minus 120 the comeback on Calvin Cater's plus 100 so we had a bit of a line flip a bit of a line flip you know earlier in the week fuck earlier in the week a few months back you were able to get Arnold Allen plus 160 plus 180 now granted it was only available in one in one book who knows what the limits were there but it was widely available around plus 110 for Arnold Allen, you know, up until earlier this week. And some big action came in his way. And now you're looking at Arnold as the slight favorite and Calvin Cater is the underdog. So I know that's going to be attractive to a lot of people. I mean, Calvin Cater, the more experienced guy, been in there with the better level of competition. So lots to break down. So let's get let's get into it, y'all. So I mean, I love this guy, Calvin Cater. If you're a fan of the sport, you're a fan of Calvin Cater. How can you not be? I mean, firstly, just as a fan alone, even though, yeah, do I practice jujitsu? Yes, but like, what do I enjoy watching? I enjoy watching striking. And this guy comes in there, you know, ever since his UFC debut against Andre Feely, you know, this guy's got one of the best jabs in the featherweight division. That step through right hand, the way he follows through with that right hand. I mean, bodies tend to hit the floor when Calvin Cater uh, connects, man. And then also, don't sleep on some other elements of his game. When he starts to ease into the fight, when he starts to feel comfortable in there, you'll start to see some elbows. You'll start to see some spins. Don't sleep on his kicking game either. And also... Calvin Cater can Calvin Cater's got some stuff on the mat too. I believe he might have a high school wrestling background. So I think Calvin Cater, despite us just knowing him for his boxing for MMA, I think he's a pretty well-rounded individual. And you have to be to make it to the top five of division like this, where a guy like Volkanovsky is the king. So you have to come in prepared to not just uh compete with a guy like uh Calvin Cater, but to let alone beat. A guy like Calvin Cater. So, yeah, lots to talk about. And then with his opponent, Arnold Allen, I mean, this guy's been one of my money trains, man. I mean, you guys have heard me talk ad nauseum about the Bilal Muhammads, which shout out to my boy Bilal Muhammad coming through once again, disrespected once again against an unproven guy. It was beautiful whether you cash him at dog odds against Steven Wonderboy, against Vicente, and now against Sean Brady. I mean, we're we're uh, laughing all the way to the bank with that Bilal Muhammad money train, but one of my other money trains, whether it's the Jamal Hills, happens to be Arnold Allen. I mean, back in the day, those dog odds against Maquan Amirkani, that max bet against Gilbert Melendez. You only had to pay minus 200 against Nick Lentz a couple fights away from retirement. And earlier in the week, I took Arnold Allen at plus 110 odds. Now, I'm not going to sit here and act overconfident i'm not going to be cocky i'm not going to disrespect someone i hold in such high regard like calvin cater and i know the i mean i know the dangers here calvin cater is one of these guys you better be ready to go to the depths of hell to beat a guy like calvin cater man i mean you look at his last few fights and 
you know, I think that there's been a lot of damage dished out on both sides. You know, uh, Calvin Cater is a guy that I think really since the Jeremy Stevens fight, he's been eating a lot. He's been eating a lot of significant strikes. But just like the Floyd Mayweather quote says, you know, the one that I always go back to, it's one thing to be able to give it, but can you take it too? And I'll tell you right now, Calvin Cater can take it too. And boy, can he take it too? Because these last three fights specifically, the Max Holloway fight, the Giga Chikadze fight, the Josh Emmett fight, I mean, he's eaten over 100 significant strikes in all three of them, let alone over 400 significant strikes in the Max Holloway fight. So on one hand, this guy's got an iron jaw, an iron will. I mean, his corner could have thrown in the towel in that Max Holloway fight. He could have been like, you know what? Let's live to fight another day. And the fact that he answered the bell after the four, after the third round, after the fourth round, like this guy just got that Boston strong spirit about him. And it's something truly admirable. And as long as his chin holds up, I mean, if there's time left on the clock, this guy, Calvin Cater is coming after you. And that's just the bottom line. So you have to respect it. Um, but on the other side of things, Arnold Allen, while I do think that he also has the capability of digging deep, he, he Hey, my bad, y'all. Can y'all hear me? I don't know what the fuck just happened. That was crazy. Y'all were hearing me good for a sec, right? And then all of a sudden, shit just, like, turned off. But what about now? Everything good? We back? We're good? I said pay my internet bill. My internet bill is paid. There's sometimes these, like, sometimes certain things happen. But prior to me shutting out, did y'all hear the praise I just gave Kevin Cater uh, before I got to Arnold Allen? Just let me know if y'all heard everything i said about uh calvin cater real quick give me a yay or an a i know i'm back now but did y'all hear what i said about calvin cater uh, i need to know that okay we're getting yups in here okay good so y'all know that y'all know the regard i hold calvin cater in unbelievable uh just the spirit this guy fights with um but this kid uh arnold allen man it's a little bit different so what what i like about arnold allen is that this guy kind of Fights a little bit prettier, you know, likes to, you know, he's got that southpaw stance. He's got some really good footwork, fights on the outside, is very good at measuring his distance and times that straight left nicely, fights behind his jab. And something that's really intriguing about a guy like Arnold Allen is that for a southpaw, he actually uses an outside calf kick. You don't often see southpaws attacking orthodox fighters with calf kicks. Usually a southpaw fighter, if they're going to attack with kicks, it'll be kind of like we saw with Benil Darius last week. One beautiful weapon for a southpaw against an orthodox fighter is they go to the liver um, with that with that rear body kick, um, and, and that's a great technique. But with Allen, with Arnold Allen, not saying he can't go to the liver too. But one thing I really like about Arnold Allen is that this dude throws that outside calf kick, and a lot of orthodox fighters are not used to being attacked with that from the southpaw stance. But that being said, when he starts going to that outside calf kick, you know, a guy like Calvin Cater, I'm sure he can check, and I'm also sure that he's got a straight right plan for him the, a nice little counter straight down the pipe that might come if he's able to to properly time the outside calf kick of uh arnold allen and then when it comes to the grappling i think both these guys can grapple i think that both these guys can land takedowns i think both these guys can defend takedowns i think that both these guys can get back up from bottom if they are taken down so that makes it intriguing as well we've seen more of a submission threat from uh from Arnold Allen, and I've also seen more submission defense from Arnold Allen. Like y'all, y'all saw how Sodiq Yusuf uh, got that nasty guillotine in his last fight, right? But in the Arnold Allen fight, he attacked for that guillotine, 
And Arnold Allen had some really good defense uh, against it. He did the right thing, rolled to his back. But when he gave up position, it's not like he was just flat on his back and then ends the round with Sodiq on top. He was able to get up position and then get right back up and get the fight in his realm. So there's a lot of smarts uh, on the Arnold Allen side. And, I mean, I just love the fact that I've seen him go out there, play it safe, and outpoint people before. We got that going for us go out there, land over 100 significant strikes like he did against Gilbert Melendez. Now, granted, Gilbert might be a washed-up fighter, but he treated him like a washed-up fighter. Go out there against Mads Brunel, who at the time, a lot of people were you know, talking about this guy like one of the most elite grapplers in the featherweight division. There was an outcry when Mads Brunel got released from the UFC. People were going crazy about it. I don't know if some of y'all recall, but it was like, oh my God, how could they cut Mads Brunel? And everyone was just, you know, touting his grappling. And Arnold Allen goes out there, survives some really bad spots, ends up submitting Mads Brunel in that third round. So that was good, too. And then against Sodiq Youssef, man, I mean, you guys already know my thoughts when you're dealing with African power, that African just strength and determination. These guys don't give up. And that was a grueling three-round fight, and he was out there dropping a guy like Sodiq Youssef on multiple occasions. And then the subsequent fight against Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker has got a reputation for being one of the most durable guys in the UFC, a guy who can just, you hit him with a baseball bat, and he's going to still be in there, man. I mean, you all saw that Edson Barboza fight, that beatdown Dan Hooker took against him, and Dan Hooker stayed in there, I mean, up, up, up until, you know, the final round, but, I mean, against... Arnold Allen, Arnold Allen just went full berserker mode on it. So we've seen different versions of of him. We've seen, you know, the pretty circle on the outside kind of point you a little bit. We've seen some grappling. We've seen full killer berserker. Whereas with Calvin Cater, we've kind of only seen one version, but that one version is consistent and that one version is dangerous and that one version is elite. The guy fights behind his jab, the straight through right hand, like I said. And if both guys start to get tired and it comes down to who's going to dig deep, I mean, I know for a fact that Calvin Cater is going to be there. If both guys, you know, the footwork's out the question and it's time to, you know, get a little bit flat-footed and just bite down on that mouthpiece, I know for a fact Calvin Cater is going to be there. And that's where Arnold Allen needs to answer some questions, right? Because in that Sodic Yusuf fight in the third round, he did seem to fatigue a little bit. Now, it wasn't to the point where he was getting 10 aided It wasn't to the point where he was getting dropped all over the place, but he definitely lost that round fair and square, right? Now, is that indicative that he would have lost the fourth and fifth? A lot of people seem to be implying that it is. I'm under the assumption that we don't know yet because, I mean, I saw, for example, in that Bilal Muhammad fight versus Vicente Luque, he lost the third round, right, the, the second time. Right? He lost the third round. But he was able to get that second win in the fourth and fifth, come back and win those. So, I mean, just because Arnold Allen lost the third round against Sodiq in a very grueling fight with a lot of grappling exchanges does not necessarily mean that he's not going to catch a second win in the fourth and fifth. So this is a really intriguing fight where I truly line it a pick him. And so for that reason, I took the plus 110 odds on Arnold Allen. And, you know, not to mention Arnold's been one of my money trains, and I'm riding that train until the wheels fall off. But the respect for Cater's there. And if Cater comes out here and a big brother's him and kind of shows him that, hey, this is what the top five looks like and makes him pay for certain things down the stretch, I mean, you take you take your L like a man if that's just what if that's what's going to happen. But I do think that Arnold Allen has the smarts to – win the early rounds, and then just give me one more of these rounds later on down the stretch. One thing about Calvin Cater is since that Jeremy Stevens fight, man, he's been eating a lot of unnecessary shots, starting with the Stevens fight, man. That first round was really rough. Now, against a guy like Stevens, who you know was on like a six-fight skid at the time, you're able to get away with it. But when he went in there against Max Holloway, and props to Calvin for coming back from that fight and, and even winning another fight because that was the kind of beatdown where you're concerned about a guy. That was the kind of beatdown where you question, will a guy ever be the same again? And although he's been performing well since then, I still have questions about lingering effects from that fight. The reason I say that is since that fight, these next two, let's start with the Giga fight. A lot of people only view the giga fight as a one-sided domination and rightfully so i mean it was 50 45 50 44 like i get that but let's not sit here and act like it was just a clinic i think what happened was the first round 
Giga was landing some nice shots, but as soon as Giga got taken down, he was completely gassed out. And from there, Calvin was able to just, you know, play his game, land his jabs, mix in some elbows, some big knees, some spin attacks. But with that being said, he still absorbed 128 significant strikes in that fight in the Josh Emmett fight. Josh Emmett, one of the hardest hitters in the division, and credit to Calvin Cater's chin uh, for eating those shots and not going down, but he still absorbed 107 significant strikes in that Josh Emmett fight. And I did feel like in the early going, I saw a little bit of gun shyness from Cater that we haven't seen in the past. So, no, I'm not saying that he's declining. I'm not saying any of that. I still think that it's the same old Calvin Cater. I just question how many more times can you start can you eat a hundred plus significant strikes in each of these fights at some point that wear and tear has got to add up not saying this is going to be the time it does but maybe it is and with arnold allen we already know what the deal is very intelligent very smart comes out here with good game plans we've seen different looks every single time he fights so i just see this being a super competitive fight who's gonna really be able to uh to dig deep when you know when the going gets tough I'm betting on Arnold Allen. Firstly, I got it at plus 110. It's currently minus 125. I did my job in terms of getting the best of the line. Uh, would I bet it here at minus 125? Probably not. Probably I'd pass. And if people see value on Cater, I completely understand. If you want to test this young prospect, I say prospect, he's 9-0 in the UFC. The young prospect is 9-0 in the UFC and is beating legit competition. Like People talk about the hooker fight. I talk about the Sodique fight. That Sodique fight was one of the highest level prospect fights I've seen in a long time. And don't listen to that bullshit that says, oh, he only landed like, what, 27 significant strikes against Sodique? I think the counters were... You know, smoking, uh, smoking on that on that loud pack that night because that it didn't seem like they were taking too many breaks in that fight, man. That fight was nonstop. So, um, someone said nice call on Dillashaw likely being hurt last week. I didn't, I didn't know he was hurt, but I picked Alja, man. But hey, it is what it is. But uh, I think this fight could go either way. But so with that said, a a, a fight that I line to pick him, I'm going with the underdog Arnold Allen get me three of these rounds and if this is the time that calvin finally gets clipped i'll take that too but on the flip side if i got to take an l here because arnold allen has to take his first ufcl and you know maybe uh calvin cater can you know down the stretch arnold starts to fatigue a little bit calvin can take over i see that as a possibility too but I think the early going is going to be going to Arnold Allen. I think he can bank the first two rounds and then just give me one of these next three rounds. We win this decision. So I took the dog odds on Arnold Allen, and uh, let's see what happens. I'm excited about this one. Well, how'd y'all like last week, man? Uh, it was another good week, man. My boy Islam came through. I told y'all about that adversity talk with Charles Oliveira. These other guys, when they got him hurt, they wanted no part of following up on the mat. I told you Islam would follow up. That's exactly what he did. So uh, I was very happy about that. Also, my boy Bilal Muradov didn't come through, but he won a round as a plus 190 dog was what it was. And then Carl Hosa got it done. So I was very happy about last week. So let's just keep this going, guys. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Tim Means. He's 32 and 13, taking on Max Griffin, who was 18 and 9. Currently, they got it. Max Griffin, minus 190. The comeback on Tim Means is plus 160 so another really interesting fight between uh you know two welterweight veterans of the sport and i i think it's one of those things where max griffin's always been dangerous man i mean like even in fights that he's lost like i bet on eliza zaleski against max griffin right and like in that first round max griffin goes out there and drops him right like max griffin's always been a dangerous guy a lot of people can make the argument that he might have actually beat neil magny that last time excuse me that last time out um i thought that that the second round was the one in question you know, first round definitely goes to Max Griffin. Third round goes to Neil, but I felt like a good majority of the second round was going to Max as well. Just Neil has this way of fatiguing his opponents and just kind of turning up the volume, you know, down the stretch if you fatigue against them. I think that's maybe what happened. But who won that fight in terms of our scorecards is still up for debate. But I think that Max uh, Griffin is kind of in a good moment in his career. And it's interesting because, you know, Max Griffin's no spring, no spring chicken, man. I mean, the dude's 36 years old. It's not like this guy's 26, you know, he's 36 and my boy, Tim means is 38. So 
both guys true veterans of the sport and I, I just love what they both been doing um i think that tim means i love the hand fighting i love the pairing i love the straight shots down the pipe the body kicks can mix in takedowns as well might even be the more well-rounded guy here it's just the issue i've been having with tim means last few fights is the durability might be kind of fading a little bit. And, and I say that and, you know, not to give one-sided info because we have seen fights where Max Griffin's also been wobbled, like the Alex Morano fight, right? But I do think that uh, Max Griffin has a little bit more momentum right now. I think his confidence might be a little bit higher. And I think he still has aspirations of making it into the top 15, making it into the top 10. Whereas, and I could be wrong about this, whereas Tim Means might kind of be one or two fights away from retirement. So when the going gets tough, I kind of do think Max Griffin will dig deeper in a spot like this. So for that reason, I'm going to pick Max Griffin. I just don't have any interest in, in laying the price. So I'm personally going to you know, sit back and enjoy two true vets of the game, go at it and have an honest, hard-fought scrap. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. So I look forward to that. Now featured bout in the heavyweight division we got newcomer waldo cortez acosta he's seven and oh and he's taking on jared vandera or as some people on mma twitter like to refer to him as jared candera who's 12 and nine and currently sorry that was really mean and currently they got it waldo cortez acosta minus 195 the comeback on jared vandera is plus 165. So you guys know a lot of my angles, whether it's the relentless wrestler, whether it's the big volume difference, whether it's fading someone on their way out. You know, every time a card comes up, obviously the number is the most important thing, but I always like to look at who does not belong in the UFC. And if the line is appropriate, you take advantage and, and you fade the guy. And obviously one of the guys that doesn't belong in the UFC that I looked at on this card was Jared Vandera, you know, uh, what's Jared Vandera really good at? He's really good at losing UFC fights. You know, he's one in five. He's a big boy. The one fight he won, I got to give him credit, had some nice volume, had some good output. And I guess you don't want a guy that size on top of you either. Um, and then with Waldo, you know, Cortez Acosta, you know, has a bit of a professional boxing background. I mean, he did get knocked out in a couple of those fights, but has some boxing experience, you know, hits hard. It's got some sting on those punches. Still very green. I think he gets past Vandera, but, you know, like I was telling you all, when I look at these cards and I look at, oh, like, Vandera's a guy that I'd love to fade, I just wasn't impressed enough with Acosta to lay a price like this, but I still think he gets it done. So pure pick is Acosta. I just didn't like the the price tag on it. So it's a pass from a betting perspective, but, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't really, I'm not in the business of picking Jared Vandera to win a UFC fight, period. So give me the new guy. Now, okay, now here we go. I'm excited to talk about this. I know y'all been waiting for me to talk about this one. So next up in the middleweight division, we got a, a little showdown here between Treshawn Gore. He's three and two. You could say he's five and two though, because he won his two ultimate fighter fights, taking on Josh Fremd, who is nine and three. And I got a bet on this fight. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh man, you're so biased towards the Atlanta fighters and this and that. And yeah, I'd love to see my Atlanta fighters win, but at the end of the day, I don't let bias get in the way of me making money. And I'm betting against the Atlanta fighter here. I took uh, Josh Fremd at minus 170 to win one unit, but I'm actually going to add more on it because the line got better. I thought minus 170 was a good price compared to where I line it. I line it, you know, closer to minus uh, 220, minus 230 on Josh Fremd. So when I saw minus 170, I was in. And now some action has been coming in on, on Trey. So I'm going to add more on uh, on Josh Fremd. I'm going to have it total to win two units on, on Josh Fremd here. And I, I just think, I just simply think it's a, a case where, you know, Treshawn Gore, look, very skilled, very athletic. Um, I mean, the guy can, the guy can strike, the guy can grapple. The guy's a really good athlete. I think he can do it all. The only thing is doesn't have any experience. You know, you don't just come into the UFC at three and no, 
in a division like this and, and, and expect to, to succeed. I mean, when you talk about entry-level fights um, in, in the UFC middleweight division, you talk about guys like Alan Amadovsky and Jamie Pickett, and I'm not convinced Gore gets past like a Jamie Pickett. I think he probably gets past an Amadovsky, but Amadovsky's got to be on his way out here. So, like, it's too bad they don't have, like, a Mike Jackson to give to Treshawn Gore. But what's really too bad is that he didn't get a chance to have more fights on the NFC regional scene. He didn't have a chance to have a couple LFA fights and then come to the UFC. Uh, someone's saying he's he's too one-dimensional. It's That's not the issue. He's not that he's one-dimensional. He's not one-dimensional, actually, because he can kickbox and he can grapple. The issue is he's got no experience. That's the issue. He's not seasoned. It's like he's got the skills. It's just that when he's in there, he has trouble easing into the fights because at the UFC level, experience is a motherfucker. And these entry-level fights at middleweight, guys like Cody Brundage, a guy like Josh Frem, like if you're not ready for that level of competition, you're going to get exposed. And that's just the bottom line. So, like, yeah, down the stretch, like I think he takes this L here. Go back to the U. Go back to the NFC. Go back to the LFA. Put together a five-fight win streak. You know, get get some more experience under your belt. Get some seasoning. Get your confidence back, and then come back to the UFC and make your run. And then, you know, the regard that people held him in after the Ultimate Fighter. It's it's funny because when he comes back to the UFC, you know, after putting a couple wins together, people are going to remember him now as this green kid. But I think down the line, that's when we can capitalize and bet on a guy like Gore. It's just that. He's not ready yet. That that that's that's all there is to it. And someone wanted to hear. Uh, oh oh yeah yeah. So so I wanted to get into this. And I don't want anyone to view this as shit talking because I like Gore a lot. You know, really nice guy. I had the privilege of calling his first two um, professional fights in the NFC. I was the commentator for those two fights. So I've known about the kid a long time. I've been in the training room with him before. Like he's got my respect. Uh, so. Someone sent me a clip, right, of uh, some other podcaster talking about how, oh, Treshawn Gore had a really bad weight cut for the Cody Brundage fight. And that, you know, that's why, you know, he couldn't absorb a shot as well and this and that. And, you know, for those that don't really know, aren't on the inside and don't really know, you know, what's going on, they might buy that as an excuse. And, yeah, I get it. You have a bad weight cut. Yeah, it's true. You're not going to absorb shots as well. Why did he have a bad weight cut? Dude had a bad weight cut because he's fucking coming in the camp weighing 220, 230 pounds. Like, these are signs of immaturity. These are signs that this kid needs more seasoning. This kid needs to take it a little bit more seriously. And for this camp, he actually went to Fortis MMA, which I think is a great move for him. You know, he's got, you know, Josh Frem is 6'4". So he's got some good training partners like Ryan Spann, who's 6'5", excuse me, 6'4". Um, Kennedy and Zetchuku, 6'5", Jeff Neal, who's one of the fastest guys in the UFC, and, co- and the general coach, Safe Sayud. So I love that, but one training camp isn't going to fix all your problems. So I do expect a better version, but he's still too green for this. And y'all wanted to hear this story. And again, I'm not saying this to talk shit. I just thought it was kind of a funny behind-the-scenes uh, you know, story about just more inexperience you know just him being a little green and just kind of being a bit of a meathead and not quite being ready mentally for this level so he fought my one of my best friends robert hale i fucking love robert hale that's like that's one of my brothers man was at this dude's wedding you know like we're we're bros and uh so he fought robert hale and amateurs and he actually won like a controversial split decision so they made a rematch right and uh so in the rematch right uh, the announcer calls the fighters to the cage. So he's like introducing out of the blue corner, Robert King Hale. So Robert Hale makes his walkout, right? He's inside the NFC cage, ready to fight, right? And then they call out Treshawn Gore. And Treshawn Gore doesn't come out, doesn't make the walk. And we're all wondering, like, hey, where's Treshawn? Like, what happened? So apparently in the back room, Treshawn was warming up so damn hard. This dude runs full force into a door, knocks himself out on fight day. And like my boy, Robert Hill's in the cage waiting for his opponent and then finds out his opponent knocked himself out in the back. So I just think that Treshawn Gore needs a little bit more maturity uh, before he's ready to be at the UFC level. I think he's athletically speaking i think he's there and skill wise i think he's there and i think one day he actually will win some fights in the ufc 
just not Saturday night, man. Let's take this L. Let's go back to the LFA. Let's go back to the NFC. Get some experience under our belt. Get, you know, five fights. Then get that call back, you know? And with Josh Fram, I haven't even talked about him yet. The guy's six foot four. The guy paid his dues on the regional scene. When you want to talk about paying your dues in the regional scene, how about this? This guy was out there fighting a RoboCop on his regional scene. Did he get knocked out? Yes, he did. But those are the kind of experiences you learn from. Because look, Josh Friend, he's six foot four. He's got a big he's got a bit of that tall man defense. And what better way than to have a guy like Robocop show you that, hey, we need a little bit more, you know, footwork, a little bit more head movement. And when you get to the UFC level, those are the lessons you need to get to that next level. And if you want to see some brutal knockouts, man, I mean, watch Josh Frem's regional fights, man. I mean, this dude was out here just landing devastating knockouts with knees, with punches, even knocked out that Bruno Oliveira, who, you know, at one point people were saying this guy could be in the UFC. So, He's definitely paid his dues on his regional scene. Comes into the UFC on short notice against Fluffy. You guys seen what, what Fluffy Hernandez has been on lately? Fluffy Hernandez is a guy that beat Brendan Allen on his regional scene. Fluffy Hernandez just absolutely put Burial through the ringer in a way where no, like Burial maybe has lost some fights, but no one's ever treated Burial like that. Like, yeah, maybe Burial got caught against Chitty. Okay, one punch, whatever. But to, to break a guy like Burial and to leave him choked unconscious in the center of the octagon and just the takedown after takedown approach like fluffy's on some shit right now man in terms of his trajectory and josh Fram for short notice i mean he even reversed position in the second round even landed a takedown of his own like showed that he belongs at this level and i think that this fight here against treshawn gore listen treshawn's got a puncher's chance treshawn hits like a truck like even in that brian battle fight he cracked him super hard in that second round with a big left hook. But as long as this tall man defense doesn't play against Josh Fremen and he doesn't get knocked out, I think that the seasoning and experience and just dues that have been paid are way too much for Gore right now. So I'm going with Josh Frem to win two units. And once Trey Sean goes back to the regionals, we get five fights under his belt. He gets his call back and people still view him as the guy he is now. That's when you're going to be able to take advantage of people, you know, uh, of buying low on, on Treshawn Gore. I just think that right now he's simply not experienced enough for the UFC. So for that reason, I'm betting on, uh, I'm, I'm betting on Josh Friend. So everyone that says I'm biased towards Atlanta fighters, yeah, would I love to see Atlanta fighters win? Of course, I always represent my city, but I don't let that get in the way of my money. So. I'm betting on Josh. I already bet on Josh Fran. I'm going to add more since the line got even better, which I was surprised about. Now, next up in the 205 pound division, we got a matchup between Dustin Jacoby. He's 18 and five, taking on Khalil Roundtree. Khalil Roundtree, who's 10 and five. Currently, they got it. Dustin Jacoby minus 170. The comeback on Khalil is plus 145. So, great fight. Great, great fight. Two badass strikers. Dustin Jacoby, obviously, with the, I was going to say K1 experience, with the glory experience. I mean, there's a guy that went in there with Alex Pereira. Granted, got knocked out brutally, but still has that experience. Been in there with Simon Marcus. Beat my uh, Muay Thai coach, Wayne Barrett, twice. Like, this dude, uh, Dustin Jacoby, is a serious kickboxer. And you see the way he hits guys in the UFC. Like, my boy, Dawun Chung. Like people try to call that an early stoppage. Daun Jung wasn't calling it no early stoppage. Let's just leave it at that. Like Daun Jung, a serious prospect, he didn't know what hit him, man. And uh, yeah, very dangerous. And with Khalil, it's like one of those things where it's like one day the guy, he's the definition of a hot and cold fighter. One day he's this absolute murderer who's just the, the, the destruction of Eric Anders, the things he's, he did to Carl Roberson and to Modestus Bukaskas. Like, he beat those guys like they owed him something, man. I mean, that guy was a serial killer. But then other fights, he'll go out there and lose to Marcin Pratchio. So it's like, you just, you know, and I hate saying shit like, oh, which version of this guy is going to show up? Because I truly feel like that discredits the opponent. But you just have to call a spade a spade, right? And I think that Dustin Jacoby's been more consistent. Does that mean he's impervious to getting knocked out? No, he has been knocked out before. And Khalil Roundtree can knock out anyone. It's like if you gave me the video game controller with with uh, Khalil Roundtree, we'd knock out Adesanya and Yuri. But unfortunately, I, I can't tap into the mind 
of Khalil. And I don't know what did he get into a fight with his girlfriend the day of the fight, and now he's going to be gun shy, or is this guy going to go super saiyan? Like you just don't know what to expect. But one little thing about Dustin Jacoby, a lot of people don't know. You know, some inside info that I heard, or maybe it's maybe it's public knowledge. I don't know, but I'll just go ahead and say it. So the dude had a bit of a surgery on like his forearm. Dude's got like a titanium plate in his forearm. And in kickboxing, a lot of people didn't want to take fights with Dustin Jacoby because when they'd kick him and he'd block the kicks, it hurt their shins. Not to mention when he's punching dudes, had a little extra pop on those punches. Like this dude's made of something else. Uh so I think a knockout's live for either guy, but I think if it comes down to who's more consistent, who's got a better process, and who can kind of win down the stretch, I got to give that advantage to Dustin Jacoby. So give me Jacoby for the win. Not interested in betting it, but my pick will be Jacoby. But yeah, I'm not an idiot. I'm aware Khalil can knock anybody out, but Jacoby's my pick here. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Roman Dolidze. He's 10 and 1, representing Georgia, and not my Georgia, the other Georgia, taking off Phil Haas, who was 12 and 3. Currently, they got it. Phil Haas minus 170 to come back on the Roman Dolidze plus 145. Interestingly enough, this actually opened minus 135 for Dolidze. So another line flip, uh, similar to some other fights we've talked about. So here's what I got to say about this. Phil Haas has literally every single thing I want in a fighter except a chin. I mean, physical specimen, check. D1 wrestler, check. One punch knockout power, check. Wins over top 15 guys, check. If this dude just had a chin, I think he could be a future title contender. I thought he I think he could be a future top 10 guy. Like I like everything about Phil Haas except that chin. And uh with his opponent Dolidze, he can crack chins. I mean, we've seen him not just in the Ibrahimov fight, whether it's the knees, whether it's against Dawkins, you know, his hands are on point too. But, you know, when he's not getting knockouts, sometimes there's questions about the process, you know. Sometimes we'll drop back for leg locks a little bit and Against lower-level guys, you're going to get those leg locks. But you try to go for leg locks against a guy like Phil Haas, probably going to give up position. He's probably going to get on top. Cardio maybe fades a little bit down the stretch. You know, I love the confidence from Dolinze. Like, hey, coach, should I submit him? You know, like all that. Like, I, I love that shit. It's great to see guys' confidence is through the roof. So basically kind of how I see this fight going is I think that Phil Haas is going to win this fight until he either gets his arm raised or until he gets knocked out. That, that's the bottom line. So I'm going to pick Phil Haas to win this fight. But, uh, you know, if he gets knocked out, you know, you can't act surprised. Here. Ricky Chow said, I live in NH, uh, what, New Hampshire? Um, he said that DraftKings is restricting my bets. Do you recommend any offshore online sports books? Well, DraftKings is currently sponsoring me, so I'm not going to say that publicly. But if you want to DM me, um, yeah, or just go to bestfightodds.com or fightodds.io, and they got a bunch of books listed. So, yeah, trust me, you're not going to have too many issues finding a spot to take your action. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Andre Arlovsky. He's 34 and 20, representing Belarus, taking on Marcos Rogério de Lima Pesao, who's 19 and 8, repping Brazil. Currently, they got it. Marcos Rogério de Lima pays out minus 225. The comeback on Andre Arlovsky is plus 190. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it just to keep it 100 with y'all. Don't listen to a word I say about this fight because I, I suck at picking Andre Arlovsky fights. Like I think the only times I've successfully cashed against him was with Marcin Tybura and with Tom Aspinall. Aside from that, I think I've been wrong like every time. Well, I got the Jerzino fight, right? But uh, besides that, like, I'm always picking against him. And lately, the dude's been fucking winning. I definitely picked him against Chase Sherman, I, I thought, and Jared Vandera. You ain't going to catch me picking Jared Vandera in a UFC fight for the most part, you know, right? I think I might have picked him against Chase Sherman. Then he loses that fight, of course, right? But what I'm trying to say is that my track, my track record with Arlovsky, like back in the day, I picked... Uh, Travis Brown to, to beat Arlovsky and Arlovsky goes out there and knocks him out. So like my track record with Arlovsky fights is just not great. The thing that's making Arlovsky great these days or great. The thing that's making him win fights these days is that like he's finding a way to kind of 
use his speed, use his vet tactic, not take too much damage, and kind of just outpoint these guys. And a lot of the time, he has a speed advantage. I'm questioning if he's going to have a speed advantage here because Marcos Ogero de Lima Pizal, a former 205er, very heavy hands. I got to give the power edge to De Lima. Got to give the smarts and the, the smarts edge to to Arlovsky. De Lima has historically not been the toughest guy. You know when people attempt submissions on him, but I don't see Arlovsky attempting too many submissions. But on the flip side, offensively speaking, with the grappling, De Lima is able to sometimes get on top of guys and ride rounds out. And Arlovsky hasn't shown the best takedown defense either. So I see De Lima coming out here and most likely just a little bit too youthful for him. Grand, he's like thirty seven, but. 37 and at heavyweight is different than being 37 at bantamweight, right? Like at heavyweight, they, you know, they're like a fine wine. They get better with time, right? And Arlovsky's like 42. So I'm going to go with De Lima, but, you know, minus 225 on a guy I can't trust. I just don't really have much conviction or interest in, in laying that price. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Ugly Man Joe Holmes. <laughs> what a nickname, right? He's eight and two, taking on Jung Young Park, the Iron Turtle, who is 14 and five. Currently, they got it. John Young Park minus 240. The comeback on Joseph Holmes is plus 200. So, uh, Joseph Holmes has like a lot of like physical attributes going for him. You know, he's got a seven or eight inch reach advantage here, he's got a six inch height advantage in the spot. And he's just a young kid who is going to be making improvements. Every single time he fights, um, it's just one of those things where Iron Turtle is 100% more experienced, paid his dues, been in there with guys like Robocop, fucking Shavcat on his regional scene, right? He's gotten some solid wins along the way in the UFC. So I think he's going to have some vet tactics here for, um, you know, for, for Joseph Holmes. It's just that, you know, Joseph Holmes, big boy for the weight class, 6'4", with that massive reach and going to be making big improvements every fight and we've seen john young park rocked on multiple occasions so um, am i putting it past joseph holmes to maybe get an upset no i'm not but the pick has to i have to pick with the experienced guy here i'm gonna go with john young park to kind of you know show this kid the ropes give him that that vet lesson because it's like when you talk about back to like the Treshawn gore fight there's not too many entry-level fights in the middleweight division and Joseph Holmes already had his two entry-level fights. I mean, he got to fight Jamie Pickett in his debut, and he lost that fight. And then he got to fight Amadoski, and he treated Amadoski accordingly. But John Young Park is a bit of a step up in competition. So I'm going to go with John Young Park with the kind of veteran savvy, the tactics. But, you know, he's not impervious to getting knocked out either. So anything can happen, but I'll lean with the experience here of uh, the Iron Turtle. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Chase Hooper. He's 11 and 2, taking on Steve Garcia, who is 12 and 5. Currently, they got it. Chase Hooper minus 260. The comeback on Steve Garcia plus 220. So, you know, I, I, I got to give Chase Hooper a lot of credit. You know, it might not be the most athletic, it might not look the prettiest, but one thing you cannot deny about the kid, he's got balls, he's got an iron heart, and, and the kid will take his ass whooping like a man. And if he's still in there, I mean, if there's still time left on the clock, the kid's coming for you. So I really respect that a lot. It's just that, you know, he's also had to pay his dues, you know, in there with guys like Caceres, who are infinitely more experienced than him. Even uh, Steve Peterson, who might be a, a bit of a punching bag, but that guy's got experience, too. So now they're, you know, a, as Chase Hooper's maturing a little bit, they're giving him the right, you know, kind of entry-level fights to where he can kind of, you know, work out the kinks in his game, iron things out. And I thought that last fight against Kolaris was a big step in the right direction. And this is this next one is a perfect incremental step up, you know. Steve Garcia, I think Steve Garcia is better than what he's shown. My concerns about Steve Garcia are kind of things outside the cage. Now, I could be way off about this. I don't know the guy personally, but kind of just as someone who's watched the game a long time the vibes i get you know I, i'm not sure how how seriously this guy's taking his nutrition you know missed weight multiple times for for uh bantam weight tries to move up weight classes this and that and you know kind of soft around the midsection i i don't fault him for you know getting rocked badly his last two fights you know the against the Antaveros guy despite Antaveros not belonging i mean you eat an axe kick to the chin man that shit is gonna rock you and then 
the fight with Maheshate, man, I mean, he, he got his clock clean. He, he hit a big one right on the button. It was what it was. Uh, yeah, uh, but the fight that I actually kind of circle back to that's I think gives me more confidence in Hooper is the Luis Pena fight. You know, Luis Pena was able to backpack Steve Garcia for a majority of that fight. So that kind of gives me hope for Chase Hooper. And if you want to see one of Chase Hooper's best performances, actually go back to his regional scene. He had this fight against this kid, Luis Gomez. And man, the way he uses the, the dexterity of his limbs and the way he was able to reverse position and get on top, like the kid, the kid's got some slick stuff. He's just still, you know, figuring things out. He was born in 1999. He's just a kid, you know, right before Y2K. So I'm going to go with Chase Hooper here. I'm just not in any kind of rush to lay a price like minus 250 on him. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a match between Cody Durden. He's 13 and four, taking on the newcomer Carlos Mota the LFA champion who's eight and one repping Brazil. Currently they got it. Co- uh, uh, sorry. Currently they got it. Carlos Mota minus 170 to come back on Cody Durden is plus 145. It's interesting that Durden's plus 145 because he actually opened minus 145. And in the two UFC fights that he's won, he also opened up minus 145. Kind of interesting tidbit. So Vegas has been perfect on their openers for Cody Durden's fights. They've, uh, for all his fights, they've called all his fights to a T, minus the Gutierrez fight, which was a draw, but I understand why Gutierrez was favored. I mean, this kid, Cody Durden, you want to talk about balls? So how many people do you know that would take a fight with Chris Gutierrez on five-day short notice up a weight class when you've been drinking beer, you've been eating chicken wings, you're on your couch eating pizza, celebrating an NFC win from two weeks ago, right? And they're, and they're like, hey, uh, you want to fight Chris Gutierrez up a weight class on short notice? And, you know, Cody's the kind of guy, you know, he didn't have to ask his wife for permission. He didn't have to call his manager. He didn't have to consult it with his coaches. Cody was just like, Yes, you know, and then he goes out there 10 8. It's Gutierrez in the first round, makes it to a draw on five day short notice as like a plus 250 dog. So give him credit there. The flick fight, I thought he was whooping flicks ass, got caught in a low percentage move. I don't foresee uh Mota coming out here with no flying triangles. The Orichi Lang fight, man, my boy, I already can crack. Let me tell you that I already can crack. Not only at flyweight, but I already moved up to Bannon. What he's dropping dudes at Bannon way too. And that was a fight where you got to see Cody Durden dig deep. It was one-to-one heading into that third round, and Cody had to make a decision. Do you want to stay in the UFC or not? And he bit down on that mouthpiece, and he got it done in the third round. Listen, the fight against Mokaev, Mokaev is one of the best prospects in the division, but what balls to go to that kid's backyard in London and fight him in his debut with the reputation he had? Listen, a flying knee to the chin is going to drop anyone. It was what it was, but after that, he got his nice little reward fight against J.P. Byers, and uh, you know it was a step down in, t- in competition, and he treated him like a step down in competition. So I think Cody Durden's a guy that's been paying his dues, but here on the opposite side with Carlos Moda, very, very dangerous Brazilian banger. This is a guy who has got devastating one-punch knockout power, also paid his dues on his regional scene. You know, we'll set up the jab to the body, start to bait you a little bit for that big left hook, that big right hand, nasty body kicks. Uh, I like Carlos Moda, very, very dangerous guy. I think the places that he's not lacked, but the places where he can be exploited is kind of when you start to kind of push on that gas tank, when you kind of start to stand up to him. If you're still there mid-second round, Come the third round, that's where he might be able to wilt a little bit. You mix in some takedowns, might be kind of kind of hard for him to get back up from bottom, especially when the fast twitch kind of starts to wane down the stretch. But the early going, this kid Moda is hell on wheels. So look, Moda could absolutely come out here and knock out Cody Durden in the first round. But I'm telling you right now, if he does not do that, I think Cody Durden is, is going to break this guy down the stretch. And at these odds, uh, Vegas was favoring Durden. The public isn't. So I haven't bet anything yet. I think I, I still uh, have hope I can get like a plus 160 on Durden. But uh, I'm, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to bet him here. You know, so far, my only bets I've made are Allen and Fremd. You know, two-unit plays on both. You know, risk two units on Allen at Dog Money and play to win two units on Fremd. Um, I haven't played Durden yet, but he's uh, he would potentially be my next play if I were to make one. So my pick is Cody Durden. I think he has to overcome some adversity in this fight. And if he is able to avoid being brutally knocked out, 
I, I think that he kind of welcomes this young man to the UFC, shows him the ropes, and then the next fight, we're going to get a great line on Moda, assuming he doesn't win this one, and that's where we can capitalize because Moda definitely belongs, and Moda is a killer, so look out for that kid. And last but not least, in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Joshua Weems. He's 10-2, and two, taking on Christian Rodriguez, who is 7-1. and one. And currently, they got it. Uh, Christian Rodriguez minus 350. The comeback on Joshua Weems is plus 290. So, real quick. So, uh, Rodriguez opened minus 160, and it was only available for like two minutes with low limits. And I saw people out here tracking, you know, multiple unit bets on, on Christian Rodriguez at minus 160. Hey, you're not breaking any rules, but now we know you're a $5 better. Right? But no, I'm just talking a little shit. But, you know, now it's minus 350. So the value's all gone on Christian Rodriguez. And it's funny because I actually bet Christian Rodriguez against his original opponent, uh, Garrett Armfield, at minus 200. I thought that was a great play. And here, I think he's going to beat this kid, too. It's just, you know, the value's gone at minus 350. Uh, kind of the way I see it going is I think Christian Rodriguez is, uh, he kind of reminds me of, like, the UFC's version of Emmanuel Sanchez, Manny Sanchez, my guy in Bellator, like Manny's prime, right? Like, you know, just he's, he's a dog. He's technically sound on the feet, but he's willing to go toe-to-toe. He can throw out the volume. He can stuff takedowns. He can get back up if he's taken down. He, he can also scramble really nicely. You saw him for a debut guy on short notice up a weight class against JSP. He gave him a tougher fight than a lot of the guys that have had full training camps against JSP. So I, I think he's a good talent. And not to mention, this is a guy who lost to JSP. Now he went to JSP's um, gym, Fight Ready, which is one of my favorite gyms. Training at Fight Ready with all those killers. I think that we're going to see a much better version of him. And with Weems, kind of a strong country boy, you know, lost on Contender Series and you know, kind of got caught with a shot, but it looked like it hit the glove and, you know, he got hit hard enough to where he didn't want to continue. I don't think he was knocked out. I thought he didn't want to continue. And then he also fought that kid, Mo Miller, on the regional scene. Mo Miller was that guy that fought on contenders and he won his fight, but Dana wasn't impressed. But all the media were crying like, oh, my God, how could you not sign this kid? And then, you know, his fight against Joshua Williams is evidence of why they didn't sign this kid. It's because he ain't fucking ready. That's why. Um, and Joshua Weems, he's just like the volume ain't exactly there on the feet. He can throw some big stuff, big kicks, big punches. Volume ain't exactly there. Can kind of mix in a takedown or two. Has some unorthodox stuff on the ground, you know, inverted triangles, this and that. But I just think the more fundamentally sound guy and the guy with the better process is Christian Rodriguez. And I think the line reflects that. It's a shame, you know, we couldn't get a good line, you know, with with no limits on multiple books, but it was what it was. The $5 betters had to ruin it for us. So props to them. Congrats. But yeah, I mean, the pick is Christian Rodriguez here. Uh, hopefully someone sees something on Weems and makes a big bet on him so I can get a good line on Rodriguez, but I ain't forcing no bet at minus 350. Uh, so it is what it is. But yeah, my, my pure pick is Christian Rodriguez. So, Wow, this went by fast. So I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. If y'all got any uh, questions for me, leave them for me in the chat now. I'll be happy to answer them since we got a little bit more time. And then after that, I'm going to get out of here. So the fight to watch. I mean, besides the main event, I think the fight to watch has got to be Dustin Jacoby versus Khalil Roundtree. I mean, you got two... You got one very high-level striker in Jacoby versus one just explosive, dynamic disgusting with his with his technique and his ferocity in Khalil Roundtree when he's on and as long as they don't respect each other too much and have a staring contest there's a chance someone hits the deck man so I don't miss Dustin Jacoby fights I don't miss Khalil Roundtree fights so for that reason Dustin Jacoby versus Khalil Roundtree is uh my fight to watch my fighter to watch is Josh Frem listen man there's a kid that paid his dues on the regional scene Came into the UFC on short notice against a very tough opponent, Fluffy Hernandez, and fought admirably. Now he's got an inexperienced green opponent who's trying to figure things out, and this is the perfect time for Josh Frim to establish himself, get a highlight reel knockout, and show that, like, hey, I do belong in the UFC. I am going to get some wins in the promotion. And if you want to talk about another fighter to watch, Arnold Allen. This is his big step up in competition, the one he's been waiting for. He gets it on his 10th 
fight in the UFC. His 10th fight is a main event. Got past Sodiq Yusuf, which one doesn't simply do. Uh, handled Dan Hooker in a way that not a lot of guys do. And now you get your step up in competition, and it's five rounds. There's been a lot of questions about how Allen would do in a five-round fight. And I cannot wait to see those questions answered. So for that reason, my fighters to watch are Josh Friend and Arnold Allen. So thank you all so much for everything. Uh, if you all got questions for me, now's the time. I'm going to just scroll up in the chat, see what you all have said. Um, Herb Dean said, Herb Dean is the gold standard. I appreciate Kyle Baraglio coming through against that porn star cardio. I don't think the cardio was the issue. I think the issue was that Muradov kept shooting for the takedowns, and he was able to get the takedowns, but that guillotine of uh, of Boralio was a threat to the point where Muradov had to give up position. Like He felt threatened by that guillotine enough to roll to his back. He, didn't, he wasn't confident in defending it, staying on top. So props to Kyle's jiu-jitsu for that, man. Um, my boy Couch Warrior said he fucks with the jacket. I appreciate that, man. I fuck with the jacket too. I actually got it in New York. So thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. Dylan said, Cater a dog. He's a dog uh, at the betting window and he's a dog in uh, the figurative sense. Yeah, this dude is definitely a dog. No questions asked about that. Um, let's see. Do you, uh, one DM said he knocked out a drain Dan Hooker. Yeah, he did knock out a, a drain Dan Hooker, but he still knocked him out. It's not like he played it safe. He went berserker on Dan Hooker, so that was cool to see. Um, my boy, JSJ23, said they need to stop disrespecting Bilal. I agree they need to stop, but I hope they continue because, I mean, like my favorite betting angle is betting Bilal Muhammad. Like if you've been betting Bilal Muhammad, I mean, you've been cashing out every single time pretty much. Like what, 10 of his last 11 or something like that? Like, 11 of his last 12, 12 of his last 13. Like, this dude is just money. So I hope you all keep calling him boring. I hope you all keep disrespecting him. And I hope I keep getting dog odds because I love betting on uh, on Bilal Muhammad. Someone said, how did I score the O'Malley fight? You know, I thought Piotr Yan uh, edged out the first two rounds live, but I haven't rewatched it. But it was a super close fight. And I wasn't that surprised O'Malley won. Um, I think people, there's a lot of group think and, you know, this and that, but I'll, I'll go back and rewatch it and have a better opinion for you next time. AY said, if Arnold shows up with the same cardio he showed up with versus Yusuf, he probably loses three rounds, might even get finished late. Yeah, but like you got to understand, there was a lot of grueling grappling exchanges in that fight, and Sodik's a lot more physical than Calvin Cater. So, no, granted, if he does gas out, yeah, I agree with you. It's just. Is he going to gas out here? There's a completely different matchup than than Sodik Yusuf. I think Sodik is a, is a specimen, but you're right. Calvin does push a pace. He does put up numbers, so I can't wait to see what happens. Um, let's see. What else y'all are saying here? Uh, you say, what do you mean $5 betters? Um, I got 7 $120 on minus 160. You got $700. You got $720 on Christian Rodriguez at minus 160 and the five minute window was open. Like it wasn't like limited to $50 bets. If, if what you're, if we're talking about the same thing and what you're telling me is true, then I digress and I take that back. But I was under the assumption that like those like openers that are only available in one book are like, super low limit like right like you know 50 to 250 max maybe you can rebet it but like i felt like didn't wouldn't like a 50 dollar bet like move the line like badly so look times are changing there used to be a time where prop bets you could only get down you know a hundred dollars max and now you see guys you know risking 250k on prop bets so times have definitely changed and maybe maybe you're right about this you know maybe times have changed to where the openers now do have higher limits than they used to have. Um, Cause back, you know, when I was starting, man, like the openers were very low limit and you'd let it, you know, expand across the market, see what everyone's thinking. And then they raise the limits. So, but yeah, if, if you're, if we're talking about the same thing, then, you know, props to you for capitalizing on that. Um, Evan says bet online openers are usually to win 500. Okay, nice. So you got a nice little 
nice little five hundred dollar action on there. So that's what's up. Good, good for you. Good for you. But my my thousand dollar betters, my my tens of thousands of dollar betters aren't going to be able to really get down on that minus one sixty. But look, everybody's got a different bankroll, so I'm not here to disparage anyone. And and props to you if you're able to really get down that much on a price like that. So that's what's up. Um, he said that tweet was wrong. Pretty sure homie didn't lay 250k to only win 100k on Fioro KO. Uh, yeah, that did seem kind of suspect. Um, yeah, who knows in this day and age? I just can't wait till it's legal in Atlanta because people were like, Oh, you never show your tickets. It's like, do you know what the laws are where I live? Um, <laughs> but at the same time, um, if you look at like my record, you look how I bet, you look at like. I've only risked like more than 10 units maybe in like two cards this whole this whole year like you, you if you know what you're looking at you know you know what's what but yeah I can't wait till it's legal so I can show off you know just show off some tickets and this and that but until then I got to uh I got to keep certain things on DL Random Malika says you should name your, your thing Random Marcos says saw on Twitter you played Allen because he is a dog in a pick and fight. Would you bet Cater if you went up to plus one twenty for example? Um, the thing is, you have a valid question, but that would be like buying out of my Allen bet. And even though I'd be guaranteeing myself money, and at the end of the day, this is gambling, and you should try to guarantee yourself money. My ego's getting in the way, and I'm not gonna hedge. I'm just gonna ride it out and see what happens and i'm either gonna be right or i'm gonna be wrong and i'm gonna take my win or my l like a man you don't see me out here when i lose bets writing fucking paragraphs crying blaming it on this blaming it on that you just take your l like a man give props to the other guy and move on and when i win you just report the win and move on man like this is a long-term game you can't be so fixated on just one bet but that's a very valid question uh, that you asked me, you know, for sure. Like if you, at the end of the day, if you just want to guarantee yourself money, you got plus money on one side and now the line flipped, you get plus money on the other side, go ahead. But my ego is going to get in the way. I'm going to ride out the side I'm on. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to stick it here. Let's just leave it like this. I wouldn't have laid minus 125 on, on Allen. I got plus 110. So I did my job. Let's see if it cashes or not. So you all got anything else for me? If not, I'm I'm heading out. So I really appreciate y'all being here with me. Thank you all so much. Uh, you know, for everything, for all your support. Please do me a favor and smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, share. After this video is done, leave me a comment. All those little things y'all do truly help the show. It's just me and y'all. Ricky Chow ask me Silva or Paul. I mean, who I'm rooting for is Anderson Silva. I'm always gonna root for Anderson Silva. It's just that. This is boxing and this is Jake Paul's show. So it's like, are they, you know, gonna gonna slide him a little something, something to to take a dive? And he's also close to 50 years old. Um so I don't know. I don't know. Cause boxing, there's a lot of sketchy bullshit in boxing. Even if Silva clearly wins on the cards, they might still give it to Paul. So it's like, I really don't know. But who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for Silva. Um, Greepo said, "Missed the show, but we'll catch the pod." You the man, then. Hey, you the man. Yeah, all you gotta do is just go back to the beginning, watch the whole show anytime you want. Truly appreciate it. Southpaw pick said, "Y'all need a half the battle." Southpaw picks collab. Hey, Southpaw pick, send me like a a video of you talking fights, and you know I'm down to to take it from there. You know, I just want to know what I'm getting into, like right before. Because you never know in this day and age, like who who's who. So send me a send me a little video of you talking fights and you know, we'll take it from there. Um and then Leon Edwards go said, Yeah, 720 in a single bet within that window, exactly. Wasn't sure what the limit was because 720 was what I had in the account at the moment. Damn, so you put the whole fucking bankroll, <laughs> you put the whole roll on Rodriguez, man. I hope he comes through for you, man. Um I, but I, I'm sure you're probably about to reload here in a sec. But uh, but that's good to know that they've been increasing their limits. Um, you know, compared to what it used to be, it used to be the the fifty dollar openers, the two hundred fifty dollar openers, and only available in one book. And one little bet will move the line astronomically. And it was just, you know, 
I like to wait till the lines get settled and they're available on multiple books and this and that. And you can actually get down some like, you know, some some hefty action on it. But I digress. Southpaw Pick says I have a bunch in my channel. I'll do the link. Yeah, just send me it. Um, my DMs are open on Twitter. It's at Best Fight Picks. So, yeah, check me out there. All right. Last call for questions. Um, truly appreciate you all being here. Thank you all so much for all your support. Let's keep this run going, man. This is so far knock on wood in the best year i've ever had i'm up 53 units with a 31 percent roi and we're almost done with october 31 percent roi all right and most of my picks are straight bets i'm not out here with these bullshit props and these 10 team parlays and I like and no offense to those that do i just kind of have an old school mentality i'm out here doing this with like straight bets and and i'm not and i have only risked more than 10 units on an event twice this year so like I know, I know the real ones respect it. So thank you all very much. And just looking to stay humble and keep it going. So sincerely, sincerely appreciate all y'all support. My boy, Robal Petros, loves the Half the Battle podcast. I really appreciate that, brother. So subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the like button. Leave me a comment after. Share it on Twitter. Leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify or something and like let people know. Let's get the word out there, man, because I feel like I'm giving out some um, some info that other people aren't. And, you know, everyone brings something different to the table. But I think I bring some I, I, I uh, hope that you all get something out of what I'm bringing to the table. So thank you all again very, very much. So good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.